Welcome to the Authentic Church Podcast with Jeff and Fawn Peterson in Orange County, California, where our mission is simply to love God, love people, and live authentic. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com. Thank you for listening. Today, uh, we're going to dive into what the writer of Hebrews calls the basics. He actually says the elementary principles of faith. And so I want to teach this today. Uh, sometimes we preach the word. Sometimes we teach the word. Today is going to be a teaching moment. If you're ready to take notes, welcome. You're going to love today and you're going to take a lot of notes. If, you, if you're not going to be taking notes, I still highly recommend taking notes. Uh, note takers are history makers, as a friend of mine said last night. Uh, but I want to encourage you to take notes. You're going to be able to go back and reflect on these. And I, I don't want to just share this material because some of you are going to hear it and you've heard this before. And what, what you could fall into is, oh, I know that. And suddenly your mind kind of goes out here and you don't really listen to receive something for yourself. So I'm going to pray and we're going to get into this. This is going to be a two-part series that we do. I titled this message, Grow Forward. And I'm going to pray right now, and then we're going to dive into it today. You ready? Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is holy. Uh, it's, it's timeless. It's truth. In a world that's filled with lies and question marks, your word is truth. It is solution. And God, it guides us in our lives. And so I ask you today... God, help us to receive your word. We didn't come to hear a man speak. We want to come to hear you speak, God. We need a word from you today. I need a word from you today. So God, I'm asking, would you teach me? Would you teach us today? Would you teach your children today? Would you help us grow forward? Would you help us mature, God, wherever we're at in this room in our walk with you? I pray that we would go up a step. I, I pray that we would go up a step. I, I pray that we would understand concepts and ideas and things in your word that we thought we understood, we're going to understand better. And things that are brand new to us, God, I pray you would give us revelation. I pray you touch every heart and mind under the hearing of my voice today, God. I pray that you would speak to us, speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews, by the way, so if you're not familiar with the Bible, the Bible is 66 books. It was written by more than 40 authors. Some of the authors of their day, they were kings. Some of them were prophets. Some were teachers. Some were farmers. And God weaves throughout this whole story, this tapestry, and everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus in the New Testament. And so there's symbols and types that point to what God would do. And in the 66 books, there's 39 that make up what's called the Old Testament. And then there's 27 books that make up what's called the New Testament. If you're new to the Bible, a good way to think of it is the Old Testament is before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. You know when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that's when we celebrate Christmas. That's, so the Old Testament is before Jesus shows up on the scene, although he was involved, but you follow me. This is before he, he physically took form and came to earth. And then the New Testament is all about the life of Jesus, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, and then the birth of the early church. And part of the New Testament, the first four uh, books are called the Gospels, which means the good news, and there were four different accounts about the life of Jesus. 
And then after that, you get into the book of Acts, which is the Acts of the Apostles. And then you get into uh, letters and different letters that were written to different churches and people. And one of the letters was a letter that they found, and they titled it Hebrews simply because it was definitely written to a Jewish audience. Jewish people were known as Hebrews back in the day. So it was written to a Jewish, Jewish audience, and the writer of Hebrews writes things that are in there assuming you know what he's talking about. A lot of, we don't know exactly who the author, author was, but most theologians would fall into the camp that they believe it was Paul or one of his close associates because a lot of what's written in the book of Galatians, in Ephesians, in Romans is also double quoted in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews was written about 25, 30 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and ascension into heaven. And so this is written as a letter. So we're going to read the end of Hebrews chapter 5 and it's going to go right into chapter 6. When they wrote the letter, it's not like they wrote, this is the end of chapter 5. It wasn't like a book back then. It was just simply a letter. And so later on in the canonization of the scriptures, and then when they went to the printing press, they had to divide it out with, with books and uh, with, with the books and the chapters and the verses for each one of them. So we're going to read the end of chapter five into six, and we're going to read it continually just like it was written today. Does that make sense? Amen. You with me? Okay, awesome. So good backstory. If you're new to the Bible, hopefully that helps. Hebrews chapter five, verse 12 says this. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, everybody say teachers, you need someone to teach you again. Teach them what? The first principles of the oracles of God. The oracles of God means the word of God. You need somebody to teach you the first principles again of the oracles of God, and you've come to need milk, not solid food. So in other words, like I, I want to give you a steak. I want to share with you Hebrews. I want to share with you something that we could kind of develop from, but you still need milk. And then it goes on in verse 13. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, a child. And in other words, somebody that only drinks milk, you might do that when you're little, but if you only drink milk when you're older, you'll look like the guy in the gym that never did leg day, okay? You're, gonna, you're, you're, you're not gonna have, I see that hand. Uh, you're, 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 you're not gonna grow into maturity. You're not gonna be strengthened. No matter what the milk commercials might tell you, you need some solid food. Verse 14, but solid food belongs to those who are full age. And that's not old, that's maturity, that you're, you're a mature believer. That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So they're mature in God and they can discern, they can discern good and evil. They can discern when something's off. They know that that doesn't really line up with the scripture. That's what he's saying. And then we go right into chapter six. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles, everybody say elementary principles. You're awake, awesome. Let's leave the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. Let us go on to perfection, not laying again. Now, here's where he outlines six doctrines of basic faith. I don't want to lay again these things. He said the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of the laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. So the writer's telling them, like, I want to help you grow and mature, but I can't because you're stuck back here in spiritual milk. And so I can only teach you to a certain level 
because you're not applying it to your life. If you would apply the things that I taught you to your lives, then you would be ready to grow to the next step. So there, he lays out six elementary doctrines. There's number one, repentance from dead works. Number two, faith toward God. Number three, baptisms. That's plural. We're going to get into that today. Number four, the laying on of hands. Number five, the resurrection of the dead. And number six, eternal judgment. Today, for the sake of today's message, we're only going to get through number four. And then next week, we're going to do five and six. And I pray you're going to be blessed by it. So these elementary truths, he wants, to, he wants them to understand these. Because if we don't understand them, we won't be able to grow. And the challenge is that a lot of times, if you look throughout the body of Christ... People weren't taught this stuff. They're not taught this stuff. I was not taught this stuff as a new baby Christian. Like I had to seek it out desperately to be able to learn and take Bible studies and classes and different things like that. It wasn't normally taught within the church. And the writer of Hebrews is kind of like, that's a travesty, right? I want, I, want to, I want you to grow. And if you take a look at the American church today, a lot of people, they know about God and they know about salvation, but they, took, they couldn't tell you about baptisms they could barely explain water baptism, let alone the other baptisms. They couldn't tell you, you say, what, why, why do you guys pray for people and you, you like put your hand on them? Like that, that kind of creeped me out. Like I've seen people do that on TV and they're like being pushed down and all this crazy nonsense, right? It's like, I, I don't know, is that scriptural? Maybe not that, but yes, laying on of hands is, and we're gonna get into that. And so the first basic teaching that we need to understand if we're gonna grow forward, if we're gonna mature as followers of Christ, the first area is we need, to un we need an, understand, an understanding of repentance. And that's specifically repentance from dead works. So if you're taking notes, I'm gonna unpack each of these four areas and then I'm gonna have a bunch of subpoints For you people that love you know, thesis papers and everything, you're gonna, you're gonna dig today's teaching. Okay, so many understand the term repentance to mean a, like a, a turning away from sin. Jesus, his first message when he comes out of the wilderness, he begins to preach. And he, and he, had, he had kind of a classic introduction to every time he got up and spoke. Anybody know what that was? When he got up to speak, what was the first thing he said? Repent, every one of you, right? Matthew 3, 2, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Which begs the question, what is repentance? Like a lot of people hear that, they're like, what is repentance? Let me tell you what repentance is. Repentance is a heartfelt conviction of sin and godly sorrow over an offense to God that leads us to turn away from the sinful way of life and a turning towards a God-honoring way of life. So we're turning away and, 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 and Pence, uh, to repent, it's the, the, the word isn't necessarily repent. The word there, the key word is pent, and, and it's to think. And really what it's talking about is you're not growing because you're not changing your thinking. Like your thoughts are still the same, your knowledge is still the same, and therefore you're not growing, you're not changing, because you still have a problem, you need to renew your mind, you're still thinking. So repent is to, is to change, it's to like rethink something. That's like the word receive isn't a word, the word is actually sieve, to sieve something, it's, it's to have something. When you receive it, I'm having it again. So when you receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was originally with God in creation and, and in the garden, and then all hell broke loose when Adam and Eve fumbled the ball. Sorry, that was the last punt. Okay, so when, so... <laughs> 
when Adam and Eve fumbled in the garden, right, then the Holy Spirit was removed, and now we're receiving. We, we receive the Holy Spirit. That's a whole nother teaching. Um, to turn is the root of return. So, so turn is to go backwards, to return, or return is to go backward. Turn is the word cover. The word is to protect something. I'm gonna cover it. When I recover it, I bring something back under protection. God wants to recover things, help you recover things in your life. When you store something, you put it in. When you restore it, you put it back again. Toward means to have, to re, a reward means to have it again. So, so Jesus is saying, repent. I, I, want you to, I want you to think, I want you to turn from the thinking that you have about God and about sin. I want you to turn and I want you to re- receive correct thinking. I want you to, to repent and turn, some, turn from these ways. Paul, in summarizing his ministry in Acts 26, 20, he talks about all these places that he went and he preached, and he says this in Acts uh, 26, verse 20. He says, I preached that they should repent and do what? Turn to God. We just read that in Hebrews, right? He said, repent repentance from dead works, and then they turn to God. So he says, I, I preached that they would repent and that they would turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Now, you're not saved by what you do. You're saved by what Christ did. But when his salvation takes effect in your life, there should be a change because he's telling you, okay, I save you, I love you, but I want you to turn from some things. And there may be some of you in here today and you're like, man, that was worth the price of admission. Like, that's why, that's what I needed today. There's a reminder that I need to turn from some things that are tripping me up. That's why I'm not growing. That's why I'm not maturing in Christ is because I'm not turning away from those things. And so he says, I want you to turn away from those things that are dead, dead works. Galatians 3.24 says, therefore, the law has become your guardian. It's become our guardian to lead us to Christ so that we may, we may be justified by faith. So specifically, these Hebrews, these believers, they were kind of doing a lot of different things out of, out of religion, out of just a habit. Their hearts weren't in it. They were doing it out of religion, and they weren't growing because they weren't really practicing the aspect of the heart, and, and what they started to do is they started to tangle it up thinking, well, I, I'm, I'm growing in, 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 in salvation because of all these things. And he's like, no, that's not, that's not the way that it works. That's not the way that it works. And a lot of people, their, their religion, the basic defini- definition of religions, if you take a look at the religions of the world, is they're doing all these things to do what? earn favor with God. Like, I, I don't know if you ever had this thought. Hopefully not. I had this thought. Uh, I was a single dad when I was 20 years old. Some of you know my story, and my life is a mess. And, um, and I thought, man, when I get my life cleaned up, <laughs> anyway, when I get my life cleaned up, I think I'm going to go to church, right? But when I get my life cleaned up, like as, as, if, as if I got to do that before I step foot in there, and if you're that person that thought like I did, I just want to encourage you, you're surrounded by people that aren't fully cleaned up. Like we're a work in progress. I just want you to know that every single one of us is a work in progress and God is doing a work in you and he does it at a different speed and in different ways than the work that he does in me. So I just want to encourage you, let yourself off the hook a bit. You can't earn your salvation. It's a free gift. Romans 7 verse 7 says, well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I mean, I would never have even known that uh, coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. 
So God lays out in the law all these things, kind of the do's and the do nots, if you will. Gives them some rules to live by. But not from a, he's doing it from a standpoint because he loves you so much, he wants to bless you. Like those of you that have kids, you have certain rules for your kids because you just don't want them to die. <laughs> like, you know, like you cannot touch that. No, you cannot use that knife. Yo, no, you cannot cut that. You can't make that. No, you can't go there. No, you can't go jump in the ocean right now. You don't even know how to swim. Like, and the riptide is gonna, there's certain things that you do just because you want your kids to live. There's certain things God wants to do in and through your life, and there's certain things he says no because he actually wants to say yes in blessing you. Yes in blessing you. Ephesians 2.8 says this, by grace you have been saved through faith. Everybody say, by grace. By grace. By grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not your own doing, it's a gift of God. If you think you're gonna earn your way to heaven, I'm sorry, you ain't gonna be there because we know Romans tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, not even one. Nobody is perfect. You could never be good enough. I love this quote. Jesus loves you so much that he will take you just as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. He loves you so much he'll take you just as you are, but he loves you too much he doesn't wanna leave you there. He doesn't want to leave you there. Salvation is God's gift to you. When you become a disciple of Christ, man, that's when you become a gift to God. Acts 3.19 says this, repent then and do what? Turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out in times of refreshing will come from the Lord. He wants to refresh you. You ever been stuck in sin and it's just so draining, man? Like it's draining. I heard one pastor last week, he was talking about sin and, and, and covering up sin and, and it's like so much work to hide the sin and cover the sin and make it look like there was no sin and backtrack here and delete that there and bup, bup, all these different things. It's like, it's so, it's exhausting. It's exhausting to try to, man, when you have been set free, when you experience the forgiveness of Jesus, when, when, when you, you can say, I'm forgiven, like there's such a refreshing that comes. I remember when I got saved, I, I had an encounter with God and I went back to this church that I was kind of like one foot in, like one foot out. Like I go on Sunday and they're like, oh, this guy looks like a, a great Christian, you know, and behind the scenes, like I'm totally not living for God, right? I'm just like coming and checking out the church and whatever else. And then I had an encounter with God. But through that time, like literally months, I'm kind of like in and out. I think I'm doing good, but it's like, I, I don't know what really sin is. I, I don't know what conviction, I don't know any of these things that I'm teaching you here today. <laughs> and I'm just kind of going. And then I had an encounter with God. And I came back and I sat down with the pastor and I told him what happened. And, and then I told him every ugly aspect of my life. Like I just like, you know, I just like threw up all of my dirt on him. And he just smiled. And he's like, Jeff, that's why Jesus came. He loves you. He loves you so much. He's like, I'm so proud of you. And I'm like, you are? I feel like a jerk. <laughs> I feel like a worm, you know? It's like, I'm so proud of you. And then he takes out the, the old Sunday school felt boards. I, I, I never experienced that because I didn't grow up in church, but he brings it out. And apparently it's what they, the teachers use to teach the children about Jesus. And he saw that's where I was at. <laughs> 
And then he took out the felt board and he's like, okay, this is you, this is the cross, this red thing over here, this is sin, okay? Like this is, this is the blood of Jesus, he's gonna wash away your sin right here, you know? Like this is what's happening, this is atonement of sin. He began to, and I'm like, oh, I see it, that makes sense, you know? So repent, turn to God. So repent from sin. Number two, have faith towards God. It's one thing to turn away from sin, it's another thing to turn towards God. You could turn away from a bad habit and walk right into another bad habit. You could turn away from one sin, but you walk right. It's another thing to walk away from sin and walk towards God, and that's what he wants everybody to do. And when the writer of Hebrews writes this, he's saying you're spiritually immature because you're not practicing this. What does it mean to practice it? It means every time that I sin, when I fall short, when I miss the mark, that's literally what sin is. Like God has perfection and I, you know, I missed it. It's like if you've ever played darts and it's like, wing, you know, you, you miss the mark. Anytime I've missed the mark, the practice that the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell him, repent. Like, turn away from that. Block, 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 block that, that fiery dart that's trying to come at you. Ch change your thinking towards that thing. Don't think that way. Think this way. Don't spend time with those friends. Spend time with these friends, right? Don't sleep in on a Sunday morning. Come to authentic church, right? You know? So faith towards God. And the key to walking in freedom and maturing in Christ isn't walking necessarily just away from something, but it's really turning to someone, and his name is Jesus. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Turning to God is an act of surrender and humility. And Jeremiah uh, chapter 10, verse 23 says this. He says, I know, Lord, that our lives are not our own. We are not able to plan our own course. And can I encourage you, if you ever, te if you ever teach this message to your friend, family member, coworker, somebody that's a new believer in Christ, if you ever teach this to them, one of the greatest things that they can understand is, man, your life isn't your own anymore. Like, it's not your own. Like, there's, there's, there's purpose in your life that's attached that's higher than that. And it's not the void of problems that's gonna make you happy in life. It's a purpose bigger than your problems. It's not the void of the problems. It's a purpose that's actually bigger than those problems. There was a, a, a couple uh, neuroscientists and a psychologist back in the 1800s and the 1900s. One of them was Sigmund Freud. You guys have, know who he is. You recognize that name. And he had what he developed called the pleasure principle. And it was if you can really fill your life with as much pleasure as possible, whatever that is for you, whatever your definition of pleasure is, you'll, that, that's, that's the purpose of life. That, that's, that's success, that's happiness. And then later on in the, in the mid-1900s, a Holocaust survivor, a guy named Viktor Frankl, he was working with all these Holocaust survivors. He said, I actually disagree with Freud. He was a fellow Austrian. He said, I disagree with Freud that it's not actually pleasure that fulfills you, it's purpose. It's purpose. And you just need something greater than the problems. You're, you need something bigger than your problems, you need purpose. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, man, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. And this leads us to the third principle, the doctrine of baptisms. 
Number three, the doctrine of baptisms. Most people think there's only two baptisms. There's three. We taught on this last year. I'm just going to kind of go over it quickly today. The three baptisms that you see in Scripture in the New Testament, number one, at salvation, you're baptized into the family of God. That's why you can go anywhere in the world. You meet another Christian. You're like, you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. You might be in Brazil, and you don't speak Portuguese, but you meet another Christian. They're like, come and have dinner with us. Actually, all Brazilians do that. But, you know, specifically the Christian ones, right? 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. That's the family of God. You're baptized into the body of Christ. Number two is the water baptism. That's when a disciple of Jesus baptizes us in water. Acts 2.41 says this, those who accepted the message were baptized were about 3,000. They were added to the church that day. So the early church didn't even recognize you as a follower of a Christ if you were not water baptized. Like you might have followed, you might have listened to a lot of good sermons, you might have shown up at church, right? But if you're not baptized, the early church is like, well, that's not the only number we're counting is when you're baptized. I got the coolest text the other day from our friends Ryan and April Murray. It was on Monday. Ryan's mom had been wanting to baptize. She's in Connecticut there out here. And, um, and so they get on a FaceTime call and they said, hey, why don't we do it today? So their mom literally filled up the bathtub at her house. She got in her shorts and her t-shirt and she literally said, okay, and over FaceTime, they're like, we now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And mom went under the waters one way and she came up a different way because it's not just a symbolic thing. It's a spiritual holy moment when you're baptized. So if you haven't been water baptized, <laughs> I want to encourage you, next weekend, you can be water baptized. It's on. You can scan this QR code. We're gonna, if, you, if you signed up for our text messages, we're going to send the link out to you. You can register or not. If you don't want to, you don't have to. You can just show up and be water baptized. Um, but we would be honored to help you. That, if, if you're wondering, what's my next step? Your next step is to go be water baptized. Amen? Acts twenty two sixteen. What are you waiting for? I love this. Like the urgency. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. So there's, there's, there's the baptism into the body of Christ when you're saved. That's the Holy Spirit who baptizes you into that family, by the way. And then a disciple baptizes you in water. And then the third baptism is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's actually Jesus who does the baptizing. You're like, that doesn't make sense. Let me tell you this. Luke chapter 3, verse 16. So John the Baptist is talking, and he says, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, and the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, and he's going to baptize you with, let's say it, the Holy Spirit and fire. Acts 19, five through six, Paul comes up to these believers. So the apostle Paul in Acts 19 had been traveling and he's in Ephesus and he comes up to some disciples of Jesus, right? These are not just like people that heard Jesus preach. He said they were disciples of Jesus. This is the start of the church of Ephesus. And he comes up upon them and he's like having conversation and he senses like, I don't know, something just kind of feels off. And he says, have you guys received the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they're like, we never even heard there was a Holy Spirit. He goes, yeah, well, where, what were you baptized? They're like, we were baptized into John and the baptism, and Paul says, that's a baptism of repentance. Like, you need to be baptized in Jesus. And in verse five, it says this, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when 
Paul laid hands on them. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues, and they prophesied. Last summer, um, I shared a message called Living in the Flow of the Holy Spirit, and unpack this, because this is probably uh, one of the uh, most misunderstood aspects of God. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? I I grew up Catholic, and it was like, God the Father, God the Son, and Holy Bible. Like, you know, like we didn't really talk much about the Holy Spirit, at least not in a context that was actually doctrinally correct. And we unpack that. If you want to go look it up, it's called Living in the Flow of the Holy Spirit. But the big idea is this. The big idea is that we are spiritual beings having a human experience, not human beings having a spiritual experience. The reason you have some challenges or reason you're not growing or reason you haven't matured, it's because you've been fighting too much in the flesh. Like you are a spirit, soul in a body. Spirit, soul in a body. And when the spiritual connection, when that vertical relationship with God gets turned on, plugged in, suddenly the soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions starts to come into alignment with him. Suddenly your body, like there's, 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 there's a noticeable difference in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. So number one, repent from dead works. Number two, turn to faith in God. Number three, get baptized. And number four, if you're gonna grow forward, is the, the do- understanding the doctrine of the laying on of hands. The laying on of hands. So when we pray for people, we'll lay hands on them. And there's a reason we lay hands on them. There's three different primary reasons you see in the scriptures where there was a laying on of hands. And the three different ways was that there was blessing, there was a commissioning, and there was an impartation. So to bless, to commission, and an impartation. Somebody says, was laying on of hands with that stuff in the Old Testament? The, the answer is absolutely yes. That actually, that's where it began. Genesis 48, 14. Israel, not the nation of Israel, it was the man, uh, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Um, So Israel, he's an old man, and his son, uh, Joseph, brings him his boys. He says, Dad, I want you to pray a blessing on my boys. And so Israel stretches out his right hand, but he crosses his hand and he lays it on the youngest son, Ephraim, who was the younger, and then his left hand on Manasseh. So he crosses his hands, and, and his son's like, Dad, what are you doing? Like, no, this one's the oldest. Like, Dad's go, going crazy. Dad thinks that one's the oldest. No, this one's the oldest. He's like, I know what I'm doing. Like, I know what I'm doing. I'm, and there was a sense of not just a, a blessing that would come upon laying of hands, but specifically there was a level of authority, a greater level of authority from the right hand. And you see this, and this is, this is something you see in scriptures. Jesus is seated. I know we talk about Jesus is in my heart. He's actually not in your heart. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. So when Jesus left this earth, he ascended into heaven, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and his, he's praying and interceding for you in this moment right now. I just think that's the coolest picture. Jesus right now is praying for you. Nobody else on earth might be praying for you. But you can take heart knowing, man, Jesus has got my back. He's praying for me. My parents may not be praying for me. My spouse might not be praying for me. My friends not, might not be paying, praying for me. I'm telling you what, your pastor's praying for you, by the way. I do pray for you. Jesus is praying for you. And there's blessing that comes through the right hand. Numbers 27, 18 through 20, this is another one. The Lord said to Moses, he says, Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man whom is the spirit, and I want you to lay your hands on him. 
I want you to set him before Eliezer, the priest, and before all the congregation, I want you to inaugurate him in your sight. So there was the, the, the blessing that they would lay hands on somebody, and then there was a commissioning. And you see this in the New Testament later on. In the New Testament, when the churches started, they would pray and fast, and when they felt like, okay, the Holy Spirit's on them, okay, we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna pray and we're gonna anoint Paul and Isaac, and they're going to go on a missionary journey to Asia Minor, you know, whatever it might be. But they, they laid their hands on them, and they prayed, and that was a commissioning moment, and it was an impartation. So that happened. So Moses did, did this with, with Joshua, and then this happened, Deuteronomy 34, 9. It says, now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. Why? Because Moses laid his hands on him, so the children of Israel heeded him. And they did as the Lord commanded Moses. So there's the blessing, there's the commissioning, and then the third area, there's an impartation. Now let me pause here because I understand that this may be new to some of you. Maybe some of you grew up in a denomination or a belief that was like, we're not supposed to lay hands on people. Paul said, told Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, 22, I think it is. Don't think, you can look it up, but somewhere there. He, he tells them, don't be hasty in laying hands on people. What, what Paul was saying there uh, is, I don't want you to be hasty in laying hands and commissioning leaders too soon. Like, I want you to get to know them first. So that's specifically what Paul was talking about to Timothy. But Jesus himself freely employed laying on of hands in Mark 16, 18. He says, you will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. So that's a promise. You've heard me say it a few weeks ago. I talked about how the word of God, everything in your Bible, every time you open up the word of God and what you read, it's either a truth or it's a command. And when God commands you to do something, there's usually a promise attached to it. And he tells him, you're gonna lay hands on the sick and they will recover. That's a promise from God that I hold on to when I'm praying for somebody that's sick. Mark 5, 23, uh, they, they bring Jairus' daughter to Jesus and Jairus is so convinced that if Jesus just simply lays his hands on her that she's gonna be healed. So he says, will you just come and lay hands on my daughter? Like that was, that was an understanding, the laying on of hands. Acts 5, 12, through the hands of the apostles, Apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. So the apostles so believed the words of Jesus that they actually went and did what he told them to do. And when they did what he told them to do, they got the results he told them they would have. A lot of times we don't see the results in our lives because we didn't do what he told us to do. We did what we wanted to do. And then we expect results. What's the definition of crazy? Doing the same thing over and 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 expecting a change. No, no, no. There's, there's change that needs to happen. You gotta do what Jesus did. So in Acts 28, verse eight, this is the last scripture I have on laying up hands. Uh, Paul is shipwrecked and ends up on this island. And uh, one of the older guys on the island that's part of this tribe, he's sick, really, really sick. And uh, so Paul finds out about it and he goes over to the guy and it says this in verse eight. He says, Paul went to him and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. There, there's an impartation that happens when you're brave enough to come forward for prayer at the end of service on a Sunday morning and you say, can we just pray together about this thing? And the prayer team comes and we say, yeah, we'll pray about you for that thing. And we begin to just put our hand on you and we're praying for an impartation. We're praying that we are simply conduits of whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. And 
as we close today, going through this, the laying of, of hands, the, the blessing, the commissioning, the, the impartation, if you're gonna grow forward, I just wanna encourage you, embrace these things. Practice repentance as a way of life. It's not just one thing that you do when you're saved. Just like the letter to the Hebrews, it's a practice, if you're gonna mature in Christ, the sign of a mature person is when they can repent. And re repentance, by the way, it's not like, oh, I feel bad because I got caught. Like, that's not repentance. It's like godly sorrow, like, man, that wounds the heart of God. That, that wounds my spouse, that wounds my kid, that wounds that person, that, that wounds the heart of God. And I am so sorry, God, would you, would you forgive me? Last night we did a, a date night uh, for all the marriages of Authentic Church. It was a lot of fun, but one of the things with Fawn and I is we've had this saying in our marriage pretty much since day one, and that was the first person to say I'm sorry is the more mature one. <laughs> And it's the hardest one. <laughs> no more from the peanut gallery. <laughs> it's so hard, right? It's so hard initially, but when you do, oh man, you just feel so much better. When, when you have godly sorrow towards God, you're like, man, God, I've been living in sin. I've, I've got all the list of things that I could confess, but it, somebody's next to me, so I don't wanna say it too loud because I'd be embarrassed if they heard the things that I'm embarrassed of. And Lord, would you just forgive me? Would you just forgive me? And he says, yeah, I'll forgive you. And it's that refreshing. And he just comes in and wraps his love around you. And he says, I love you. I love you. That's not you. That's the sin of the world got into your heart and into your life. But I'm gonna set you free from all that. I love you. Romans 10, 9 says this. We have it on the screen. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you're saved. Some people say, how do I know if I'm really saved? Like, I'm, I wanna make sure I'm not going to hell. Like, that was my biggest concern. I was like, you know, because I grew up learning like, okay, if you just go to church and you're kind of a good person, you're gonna go to heaven. Like, that's what I truly believed. And then I read the Bible and that's totally not true. The only way to get to heaven is through having a relationship with Jesus. That's how you get to heaven which was a bummer because my plan was just to kind of be an okay guy, you know, and just go to church, but actually not actually change anything in my life. And then I heard these words. But you know what? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, now don't say it unless you mean it. If you do it, you're just giving him lip service. Anybody had, ever had anybody give you lip service? You're like, you don't really mean what you mean. I know you didn't buy that timeshare, timeshare guy. You're trying to sell me on buying this timeshare that's gonna put my family in debt for like 100,000 years for $100,000. Did you really buy this? Oh yeah, I got five of them. He's a liar. Like, you know, you know. no, it's not, he doesn't want lip service. He, 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 he doesn't want you just to say, he wants you to mean it like, Lord, I want you to be the Lord of my life. That means he calls the shots. That means it's not I who live anymore. It's not about Jeff and what I want to do. No, 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 my life is surrendered to him. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Man, Jesus, you are Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a promise from God. Just ask you to bow your head, close your eyes as we conclude today. Maybe you're here and 
that last point, that last scripture I'd read, it resonates with you. And you're here and you're just like, man, I, I, I just need to admit that today. Jesus, I just need to say that today. I confess with my mouth, I believe in my heart that you are Lord. I'm not gonna try to be God in my life. I'm not gonna, I'm surrendering to you. If that's you today, just lift your hand to heaven. Just lift your hand right now. If that's you today and you wanna put your faith in Jesus, come on, praise God, praise God. Praise God. I believe in my heart, Jesus, that you rose from the dead. I'm, I'm, I'm confessing you as my Lord and Savior. Right now in this moment, in your body, you might even feel a little bit like your heart's pounding out of your chest because it's real, because you feel this. This isn't just some good-sounding leadership, positive mental attitude talk. You're having an encounter with God. And you're, you're actually surrendering. Like you're, you might have just gone to church before, but today you're going all in for Jesus. That's what's happening in your heart right now. And God loves you. And all, all the stuff that may be going outside of this room in your life, Jesus is like, well, we'll get to that at some point. I just, I'm so excited that you're home. I'm just so excited that my son said yes. I'm so excited my daughter finally said yes to me. We can deal with the other stuff later. Right now, I'm just so excited to see you. I've missed you. I love you. I care for you. I forgive you. I cleanse you. When you call on the name of the Lord, that's the first step. And the next step that you would take is joining us next weekend for baptism. The hallmark of every believer is they were baptized in water by a disciple. And it would be our honor to have you join with us in the celebration and celebrate what the Bible calls your spiritual birthday. You're born again. You're born again. Let's all stand as we close today. If you raised your hand to receive Jesus, I just want to tell you, God loves you so much. He is so proud of you. I, I want to give you a gift today. We actually have Bibles for you that we would love to give you. And you can begin to read and take a look at some of the things that we talked about today. And if you took notes, you can go look them up. And maybe on Tuesday night, if you have the time and ability, you'd be able to go to the Bible study at our friends Ryan and Annie Dalby's house. But next week, I don't want you to miss next week. I want, you, I want to encourage you, bring your friends, bring your family, bring your coworker that used to drive you nuts talking about Jesus. I had a coworker one time that reached out to me. It was like five years after I stopped working at this company. When I was working there, I was a youth pastor at the time. And there was this old guy that I worked with and he was so cantankerous. Like he like just hated life, hated people. He would never smile. He always smelled like a cigarette and coffee. Like you did not want to talk to him closely. Like his breath was the worst. Like it was dragon. Like your, your eyebrows would disappear if he said hi to you in close proximity. It was horrible. And then one day, this guy calls me. He says, Jeff, this is Jim so-and-so. Do you remember me? I'm like, I'm thinking, you know, my catalog of names, right? Jim. Oh, yeah, we work together at this company. He says, hey, I just wanted to let you know I was baptized last Sunday at church. And I, 
I remember the times where you would talk to me about Jesus. And I just wanted to let you know, even though I didn't show it, it was actually having an effect on my life. And there's people that might have been that to you. Or you might be that to them. Don't give up. Don't give up. Let me pray for you as we close out today. God, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you for newness of life. God, I thank you, Father. I thank you for helping us grow forward, helping us mature in the things of you. God, helping us understand repentance and what that's all about and turning to God and in baptisms and and, in the laying on of hands. God, we want to grow and mature in the things of you. God, I pray that this would be the beginning of a new season. That every person that lifted their hand today to call on the name of the Lord, that renewed their relationship with you, that every hand that was raised, God, I pray that you would come in their life like a flood. I pray, God, that you would help them break off any sinful habits and people that are just hanger honors that are trying to get something from them that don't want your best for them. God, I pray, God, that you would cut off bad relationships and help them lean into the best relationship ever, and that's with you. God, I thank you for your reality. I thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your kindness. Jesus, I thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that we're forgiven. Thank you, Lord. God, I pray your blessing upon us this week, your blessing upon your people. God, help us grow in understanding of who you are and your plan for our lives. Help us grow forward in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen, amen. Can we give God praise this morning? For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com.